We are beginning a new series this morning entitled, I Do. And when you think of I Do, what do you think of? You think of marriage. This is a marriage series. And this morning I saw a lot of you standing around enjoying the wedding pictures, the photos. And if you want to enjoy more of those, how about if you send your own in? For those of you that have, thank you for doing that. For those of you that haven't, there, there's a gift um, that is going to be given out. We're going to do a drawing for a date night out. So if you haven't sent it in, uh, the best way to be entered into that drawing is to send your picture in. So send them in this week. We want to celebrate marriage during this series and what it is and what it could be. So we're going to have uh, some activities throughout this series. We're doing a, a movie night uh, here in a few weeks. We're doing a babysitting night, moms and dads. So Aaron, bring your kids, take your wife out on a date. Because it's been a while. Uh-huh. So, so we just want to, uh, to make this a series that, that celebrates marriage and talks about what makes for a healthy marriage. You know, back in, on October 18th, 1986, I said, I do. That was 10,375 or so days ago. And every one of those 10,370 days, I have had to make a choice to love my, life, my wife. Because, you see, 10,370 days ago, I promised to love and to cherish my wife for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, and until death do we part. So 10,378 days ago, I promised that I would love my wife until the day that one of us died. And there have been better days and there have been worse days. There have been richer days and there have been poorer days. But the one thing that stays constant is that I am committed and Verde is committed to this relationship until the day we die. And it has been a journey. You know, a few of those, the years of that journey were very challenging. But slowly and surely, we have both matured as people, we have matured in our faith. But we have worked hard and we never gave up on our promise that we made before God that we would love each other until the day we died. You know, as, as I was preparing for this series, Vernon and I talked about, you know, what was the thing that changed our relationship? Because the first three years of our marriage, I'll be honest, were very, very challenging. I was getting up in the morning at 6 o'clock and going to work, and I would come home at 8 or 9, sometimes 10 o'clock at night, doing that two or three days a week. I had one way of thinking that marriage would be. I had this ideal in my mind. I had expectations. Verda grew up in a different home, and she had a different set of expectations, and neither one of those expectations was met. And as a result, we really um, dealt with a lot of conflict and struggled. And it was really hard. 
And there were days when both of us wondered, is it really worth it? Wouldn't it be easier just to walk away from this and start over? And yet we remembered the promises that we had made for better or worse. And we talked about what was the was there one thing that really began to change our relationship? And you know, we really couldn't put our finger on one thing other than when when both of us began to grow in our relationship with Christ, when we began to take our faith seriously and dig into the word, then our marriage began to change. You know, there was no magical book or seminar that we went to that we could point back to and say, it was that seminar, it was that book that changed us. It was our relationship with Christ. It was us growing personally in our walk with Jesus. And as we matured in our relationship with Christ, we matured as people, and it began to change our relationships. Now, there were books and there were seminars that we went to to better and to enrich our marriage. One of them was the five love languages. I began to understand how to care for my wife emotionally. You see, because, because in marriage there are, we need to connect with our spouse emotionally, we need to connect with our spouse spiritually, and we need to connect with our spouse um, physically. Those are three things in a marriage that are vital. And so often our marriages, and for men especially, we think marriage is based solely on a physical relationship. When our wives need to connect with us emotionally, and we need to connect spiritually. And so it's really important that in books like Five Love Languages, uh, Love and Respect, and, and um, that was one that was really good. And this is a new one. This is by John Piper. This talks about spiritual connection and this momentary marriage. Those, these are all really good reads. But we have to apply the things that we are learning in them. And so for Verda and I, it has been a journey. There hasn't been one book, but it has been our growth in Christ. And then these small things, these, this desire to grow in our relationship that has really uh, made the difference. You know, we had 25 years ago, we had a choice to make at, at one point in our marriage. We had to decide we're either going to work on this and we're going to make it better or we're going to live in misery for the rest of our lives. Because we were committed to being married, we would never get a divorce, but, but we were, we would, if we would not have worked on it, if we would not have, have put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, hard work into our marriage, we would be miserable today. But we made a choice that we would work hard. And both of us had to, had to give. And I would suspect this morning, you know, some of you are, are in a marriage that is just wonderful. You've put hard work into it. Um, you have cared for each other emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And, and you can say marriage is a wonderful thing. I can tell you marriage is a wonderful thing. Some of you have okay marriages. You're getting along you're, 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 you're doing more than surviving. You're getting along. 
But boy, it could be so much better than that. Some of you are in survival mode. You are just living day after day and, and, and you're wondering, is it worth it? You're wondering, where do I go from here? And some of you are over here where you're hanging on by a thread and you are ready to give up. You're basically saying, you know what, I don't think it's worth it. I'm just trying to decide when to pull the string. I think when we begin to understand why God created marriage, then we've been here. Bert and I have been here. We have been here where we were just surviving. We have been here where we had a good marriage, but we had to work on it to make it better. And I'm telling you, it is worth whatever you have to do over here to get to here because marriage is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But it requires a lot of work. It requires a lot of sacrifice. It requires a lot of, of give and take. And so I hope this series inspires you to make your marriage the number one priority in your life. Because the only way you can have a great marriage if, if, is if it is the top priority. That as you grow in your relationship with Christ, that your marriage, that nothing will come in the way of your marriage. That no activity, that no profession, that no business, that no playing will get in the way of your making your marriage everything that God created it to be. Because that's the only way it will ever be great is if you make it the number one priority in your life. Now, society tells us you know, our government is telling us that we need to change the definition of marriage. Some denominations are saying we need to change the definition of marriage for in the name of love and tolerance. We need to accept people of all kinds that want to. So if two men or two women want to get married, we need to embrace that. We need to be okay with that. The world is saying that, that marriage is a dying institution that, that is outdated and in need of much change. And in fact, if you, depending on, on you read some guys, they say that marriage is restrictive and, and a detriment to our society. You know, we're told that less than half of the marriages today aren't working out. And so we need to choose to do something different. And it's why many young people are choosing to, to just to cohabitate, to live together rather than to, to, to get married because it's easier to get out of a situation where you're just living together. And we have all of these pressures that are confusing us and causing people to question what is right. And so what we have to do is we have to go back to the foundation of marriage. Where did it come from and why was it created? And for us to do that, we have to go back to the book of Genesis and see how God created marriage and what He created it to be. 
Because if you see, if marriage is just something that was created by man, that was thought up by man, then yes, we probably would need to change the way we're doing it. But it wasn't. It was created by God. It was instituted by Him in the beginning. And if you would, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says this. It said, now the Lord, and this is on, on day six of creation. It says, now the Lord God took the man and put him, I'm sorry, verse 18. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. We will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground of the bee, out of all out of the grounds all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see if he would name see what he would name them. And whatever he called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave the name to all the livestock, to all the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. But for Adam there was no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, He took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And he said, now, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, institution of marriage, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Therein lies the institution of marriage. That is where it was created. It was created by the Lord God for man and woman. And so what we see here that, that, God, is, that it, God is the creator of marriage. He is the one that thought of it. He is the one that designed it. And here in Genesis 2 we see the foundation of marriage. This is why it was created. And we see some very important things here in Genesis chapter 2 as marriage was created. First thing we see, that it was created to be between one man and one woman. You catch that? He says, for this reason the man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. So we see from the very beginning, marriage was to be between one man and one woman for life. In Genesis chapter 1, it says God created them male and female. He created them. He said be fruitful and fill the earth. And there are places, there are churches that are redefining, that are saying, well, this isn't, God didn't design it. Yes, he did. We have to go back and ask How did God design it? He designed marriage to be between one man and one woman, and therefore that is the way it must stay. That is the way He created it. That is the authority of Scripture that we see. And He says, not only is it to be between one man and one woman, but it is to be that a man is to leave his father and mother. They are creating a new home. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You see, every time a marriage happens, a new family is formed. There is a severing of, of, of one family and the authority that you lived under as sons and daughters 
and there, there is a, a, a new home formed and a new authority that, that begins at this moment. And one of the most important things that young couples must remember is that they need to come out under the authority of their parents. And what parents need to understand is you are no longer in control of your children the day they get married. God set it up that way. And if you are meddling in your children's marriages and you are trying to control their marriages and you're trying to control your married children, you're going against what Scripture tells us that we should be doing. It says a man is to leave. So parents, we are no longer in control. We should no longer desire to be in control. He says, no, you're to, to, to cleave. To be united, that means to be glued together. You see, as husbands and wives, we're now glued together. We are one flesh. And this tie, this, this, this new home that has been created, this is a binding agreement that we make before God. You see, marriage is, is a union that is like no other relationship that we have. You see, with our parents and with our siblings and with our friends, we create emotional and spiritual bonds. We have friendships. We are close. But when a husband and wife become one flesh, there's a bond that happens that doesn't happen in any other relationship. You see, these three parts of relationship are different than any other relationship that we have. And it's really important that we work on all three. Because this is, this is a new journey. And I think for Verda and us, that was one of the hard things for us is, is understanding that, that this was a different kind of relationship than any that we had ever been in. This was all new to us. Because we had never connected with anyone else like we were now connecting with each other. And, and it was really exciting and new and fresh, but a part of it was frustrating because we didn't understand how to do some, how, how to connect in some of the ways and, and how to work through some things. And it just became frustrating. Now, Verda could have ran to her mom and said, Dwayne is doing this and Dwayne is doing that. And Verda's mom could have came and set me straight. Or I could have went running off to my mom and, and dad and told them all the things Verda was doing that was wrong and, and they could have went, came and tried to fix it. But that's not the way it's designed. You know, we can go to our parents for counsel and as parents it's important for us to give good counsel but it is not our place to meddle in our children's relationship with their spouse. That's a very dangerous place for us as parents to go. God said there to leave your father and mother and be glued to your spouse. A new relationship has been formed. And the Lord God said that this marriage that, that I am creating is to last for a lifetime. It's to last forever. You know, Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, when he's talking about marriage, when the, when the, the Pharisees ask him about divorce, he said, haven't you read 
That in the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus was saying, look, He points back to creation. He says, I created it that way. And I created it to last forever to last for a lifetime. You see, God has ordained this so that man should never, ever separate. Malachi 2, verse 15, it says, Guard in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. So guard your spirit and do not break faith. You see, God has always hated divorce and He will always continue to hate divorce because it destroys that which He created to be unbreakable. He hates it on any terms. Now, God tolerates it in certain instances. I believe He forgives it just as he forgives any sins, but he will never change in his hatred for divorce because God never changes. And his hatred towards sin will never change. And so young people, when you're considering marriage, you need to remember that this is a lifetime commitment. There's no getting out of it. It's for life. Also, what we see here in Genesis chapter 2 is that, that there is order in this institution of marriage. And this is, you know, th there is nothing politically correct about this message this morning. Because marriage between one man and one woman for life is not politically correct. Saying that there is, there is order in marriage is not politically correct. But listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. And if you would, turn with me there to Ephesians 5, verses, beginning at verse 22. Paul talks about the order of marriage. Because what we have to understand, too, is we have to go back to the foundation of, of, of what marriage was created to be to understand the whole thing of headship and submission. And I know those are, those are bad words in our society. We don't like headship and we don't like submission, but, but we have to go back and see what does the word say. So Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, says this. He says, wives, first of all, he says, submit to one another in love in verse 21. But then in verse 22, he says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And probably right now, some of you men poked your wife and said, you hear that? Mike, I saw that. For a husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, his body which is the Savior. Which he is the Savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present, him, her, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, 
but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Then Paul says, he goes back to, to, to Genesis, he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Whoever, however, each one must also love his own wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now the question is, are men and women equal before God? And the answer is, absolutely. They were both created in the image of God, as we saw back in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And, and, and God makes it very clear that they were created in His image. But He also makes a woman that is a fit companion for the man. Which explains, um, we see that, that, that animals weren't fit, but... But the woman was because she was created in his image. Secondly, they were both placed under the moral command of God and thus given moral responsibility. Yes, men and women both have moral responsibility. And thirdly, they were, they were both guilty of disobeying the commands of God and therefore judged by God for their disobedience. So we are created in the image of God uh, we both have moral responsibility as men and women. We are both responsible for our disobedience before God. And fourthly, men and women alike are subject to God's grace through Jesus Christ. And so we in, in, in all aspects are, we are equal. And yet when we look at the differences between men and women, they're obvious. Men are to, men are, are, we were created to lead. Did you notice in, in Genesis it said, I will make a helpmate suitable for the man. It doesn't say, I will make a leader for the man. I will make a help, I will make a helper. I will make somebody that will walk alongside of him. And so there are differences between men and women. And we, and we each have our very distinct responsibilities in the home, in, in the Christian home, to bring glory to God. You know, when you think about the Trinity, the Trinity is the three person, persons of the Godhead. They are, as, um, as the Westminster Confession of Faith says, they are same in substance, equal in power and glory. In other words, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they're equal in substance, equal in power, and equal in glory. And yet, they are, they are one in substance, equal in power and glory, but then it says, the Son submits to the Father and the Spirit submits to the Son. You see, they have different functions within the Godhead, just the way men and women have different functions in the marriage. But you don't think of, of um, God the Son as being less than God the Father. And yet their roles are different. The same with husbands and wives. 
And that's what Paul is trying to explain here in Ephesians chapter 5 when he says, For the head of every man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. He's showing the order of creation and how each one of us fits within that order perfectly. And we need to embrace what God has created because he's created it to be a really beautiful thing. And when husbands love their wives the way Christ loved the church, it's a beautiful thing. And when husbands, when we love our wives the way Christ loved the church, our wives are, 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 are willingly and I think um, graciously will submit to us the way that the church submits to Christ. It's the way it was created. It's the way God designed it to be. You see, what we have to understand ultimately is God created marriage for his glory. He didn't create marriage just for us to enjoy, and, and, and he created it for his glory. And that's what Paul is talking about in, in Ephesians. I've created this to be an example of what it looks like, what the relationship between Christ and the church looks like. And so, when I think about that, when I think about the fact that, that my marriage was created to display the glory of God, My marriage was created so that the world could see what the relationship between Christ and the church is like. That's what Paul is talking about here. And when I begin to understand how serious that is, I think it changes everything. Because you see, Jesus made a commitment, a covenant with the church that he would love her no matter what. Christ has never fudged on his love for the church because he created a covenant with her. My covenant marriage is, is to be the same. I am to stay committed to that. I'm to be rooted in this commitment of marriage that will withstand every storm that ever comes my way. And I will stay within it as long as I live because I am being a representative. Our marriage is to glorify God ultimately. Paul says this is a profound mystery that this happens. But marriage is patterned after Christ's covenant commitment with the church. Marriage is patterned after Christ's covenant relationship with his redeemed people. That's us. And the highest meaning and the most ultimate purpose of our marriages is to put the covenant relationship of Christ and the church on display. That's why marriage exists. 
And I believe my greatest motive to love my wife is because of the way Christ loved me and me wanting to, to mirror that. You see, as husbands, we're called to love and purify and protect and care for our wives because Christ loves and purifies and protects and cares his bride for his bride, the church. Marriage is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Marriage was created by God himself. And it was created for his glory. And so, so those of you this morning that, and some of you have experienced the pain of, of a broken marriage. You know, God, God can heal that. He will heal that. He will forgive that. But for those of you that are in marriage and, you, and you're over here hanging on by a thread, remember that, that your marriage was designed to glorify God. So begin to work on yourself. Begin, go home and ask yourself the question, Lord, what do I need to do? As husbands, what do I need to do to love my wife the way Christ loves the church. What do I need to begin to do? What needs to change about me? And listen. And read. And seek His face. And wives, some of you are frustrated in your marriage because you feel like, like your husband isn't leading you. That your husband doesn't love you the way Christ loved the church. Ask the question, Lord, what must I do to submit to my husband the way that the church is to submit to Christ? Ask yourself, how do I love my husband in a way that glorifies God? And then listen. And begin to take steps To be the wife that you were created to be. You know, over the next several weeks, we're going to, next week we're going to talk about men as leaders. So we'll talk a lot more about this. And we're going to talk about what it means for a wife to be a helpmate. And what wives do. And how wives, um, so I'm still looking for a volunteer to preach that Sunday. He said he had to preach the last one, so I have to do this one. But we're going to talk about that. I just want, I want to give you hope this morning. I want to help you to understand, and, and I want to be open to you and, and help you to understand. You know, Vern and I have worked really hard on our marriage for, for 10,370 days. Every morning when I get up, every morning of those 10,000 300-some days that, that I, got, I had a choice to make. Will I love her the way Christ loved the church or will I not? Wives, Verda had a choice to make every morning of those 10,370 days. Will I submit to my husband the way that Christ, the way the church is to submit to, the, to Christ? Will I love him? And I'm not very lovable someday. 
But slowly but surely over the years as we worked at it, God began to do a work in us. You know, three years ago when Bert and I went to Caring for the Heart um, out in Colorado Springs, God just did a more incredible work in us. And, you know, and if you need to go for a week of, 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 of caring for the heart or, or, or to go spend time with somebody to work on your marriage, I am telling you, man, it is worth every ounce of effort you put into it. You know, one of the things that, that I struggled with when we went out was, I don't want to tell people I'm going to counseling. I mean, people are going to think I'm messed up. Well, yeah, we all are. But going to counseling to heal your marriage is one of the strongest things you can ever do because it's saying, you know what, I recognize that I want to make my marriage everything that it can be, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it that. So I want to empower you this morning don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of what the world thinks. Make your marriage the number one thing in your life. And do everything you can to make it a beautiful thing, to make it what God desired for it to be. Because you will never, ever regret it. I have not regretted what the work that Bert and I put into it. We are reaping, I believe, at 28 years, the benefits of the investment we have made the last 28 years. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Invest in this beautiful thing that God has created to glorify himself. Let's pray. Father, uh, this morning, um, all across this this room, there are there are husbands and wives that that are at at, at different stages of um, their marriages. Some who are just married, some who have been married for forty or fifty years. Um, Father, there are marriages that are are hanging on by a thread, and there are healthy marriages. Father, I pray this morning for those that are struggling, for those that that aren't sure it's worth it. Father, that you would breathe into them hope. That you would breathe into them a desire to begin to work on this thing that you have created. Father, that, that your spirit would be at work in them. Lord, I pray against the evil one telling lies um, to people that think it's not worth it anymore. And I pray, Father, that, that I rebuke those lies. And I pray, Father, that, that your spirit would, 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 would empower men and women to come together and begin to talk about their differences. I pray, Father, that you would empower men and women to grow in their faith, that, that this week, that that, that they would pick up your word and would read it and, under, and begin to understand why you created marriage and that you created it for a lifetime. I pray, Father, that you would bring healing to marriages. Lord, that, that those 
those deep hurts that have existed for years and years, you would begin to bring healing and restoration. I pray that you would give us strength and energy to every day get up and, and, and choose to love our husbands, to love our wives. Lord, I pray that our marriages would bring you honor and glory, would lift you up, would be an example of Christ and the church. Father, make our marriages beautiful. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I just want to encourage you, um, man, husbands and wives, talk about this. Go home today and talk about this. If you're struggling, go home and talk about it. We want to help you. Come talk to us about it. Take advantage of some of the resources. But begin today to make a choice to change. Have a wonderful week.